0: Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church, located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Mission Church, how we doing? I'm wearing my Dubs jacket today. Come on, now, I'm going to show you the back of it. How nasty is that? Come on. Uh, in honor of the NBA coming back, I thought I'd wear my NBA jacket. Some people tell, uh, told me I was a bandwagon fan because I became a Warriors fan when I moved up and then won all the championships. Well, they have the worst record in the NBA now, and I'm still a fan, in and out of season. Because I'm believing next year we're gonna have the first pick, we'll trade away, and we'll be back in the uh, NBA championships. So to all my Dubs fan, what's up? It's all the people who hate sports and hate what I'm just saying right now. Forgive me, you want me to talk about Jesus? Okay, I will, here we go. Um, <laughs> I, um, I was talking to my pastor this week, and he reminded me of something. I just want to say it to you real quick before I get my message. Uh, a divided world desperately needs a united church. And this week, I have just saw more and more of just people getting divided over just preferences on how to go about things. Man, church, let's not be divided by preferences. Let's be united under the umbrella that Jesus is the vehicle. Uh, Jesus is the one that chose us to be the vehicle to change the world. We can't change the world being divided. So, oh, this divided world, man, let's give him a united church. I wrote two other ones down just for fun. Uh, A fearful world needs a fearless church. It's not a time for fear, it's not a time for timidity, it's time for courage. Oh, wrapped in this thing called love. Another thing I wrote down is, an angry world needs a loving church. Man, let's be a loving church right now. Let's be gracious to people, let's be patient, let's be quick to listen and quick to love. Oh, that would be the type of church I want us to pastor. So uh, I know we're in an interesting time as a, as a church and as a nation, and so there's a couple things to process and pray about. Um, the, the worst thing that can happen is if people who are a part of our community, they're fighting with each other instead of fighting the enemy. So let's fight the enemy, does that sound good? All right, the uh, title of my message today is uh, Abraham the Confident Christian, Part D, also known as Part 2. Um, it's, uh, it's a second part of a message that I, I shared two weeks ago. Um, it's in our How Great is Our God series. And just to give a little recap, the reason why I think um, uh, this is such an important message for today and such an important message for you is I think that confident Christians are few and far between right now. I think it's hard to find them. But anybody in the Bible that did anything great for God, I'm talking change the world, man, they had a swagger about them. They had a confidence, not about how great they were, but they had a confidence about how great their God was. Look throughout the Bible though, you'll always see people who change the world have a confidence in their God. I even love Hebrews 11, one, it says this. Now faith is confidence, Woof, there it is right in the Bible, in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. What are you hoping for right now? Are you hoping for anything? oh man, I pray that at the end of this message that your hope would be bigger, that your dreams would be bigger, that your belief that God could redeem something that you never thought he could redeem, that he can actually do it. I I wanna give you a recap real quick before we go in the message. Um, Two weeks ago when I I shared this part of this message, I showed you in Genesis 12 where the Lord um, has a moment with Abraham. It's his first moment. And what happens when the Lord encounters Abraham is that he gets sent And we talked about the Latin word of mission is missio, means sent, we're the sent ones. So when you encounter the Lord, get ready to be sent on an adventure. So Abraham is um, promised that he will be blessed to be a blessing, and so he goes off on his way. And then I skip 10 chapters, which is years upon years upon years upon years. And now uh, Abraham is an older man, and what I love in Genesis 22 is Abraham, through those 10 chapters, you'll see failures, you'll see doubts, you'll see a bunch of things that he does, but at Genesis 22, Abraham's faith and his confidence has been developed. So when God comes to him and asks him for the most precious thing in his life, Abraham passed the test with flying colors. Uh, God asked him to basically give up his only son, Isaac, uh, his treasure, oh, the thing he wanted more. And Abraham knew, he reasoned with faith that no matter what he did in this moment, that God would redeem whatever needed to be redeemed. I love what it says in Genesis 22, the last verse. It says, Abraham told his servants, the boy and I will travel a little farther, we will worship there, and then we will come right back. Woof. Man, I love a confident Christian that believes that when God even asks them to do the hardest thing, they're gonna come back with even more than before. Uh, I wanna wanna address this question real quick because you may be asked this. Is it really that important to be a confident Christian? Is it really that important to have that type of confidence? If you are discounting the importance of the confidence that you have in your God, the confidence that you have in scripture, the confidence in how he created you to be, you have no idea what, what can happen when you're not a confident Christian. Just look at Genesis 16, we're not even gonna touch it today, but Abraham loses his confidence in the promise. Sarah loses her confidence in the promise. So what do they do? They decide to manipulate their promise through Hagar. And if you know anything about it, they basically try to force the promise with their own strength, their own ideas, and they uh, birth a son to Ishmael, and it creates a bunch of drama. Oh, it creates discord in the home, and if I'm being honest, Maybe you haven't done something like that where you had your um, husband sleep with the assistant to have a baby uh, to fulfill the promise of the lineage of Jesus. Maybe that you didn't do that, but maybe you've done this before. I'll just be honest. I've seen it happen more times than once in church. When I was a young adult pastor, I remember meeting young gals and, and they would get saved and they would dream big dreams about even who they're gonna marry. And they'd say, oh, I'm praying for a man. I'm praying for a tall, blonde, blue-eyed man. And Oh, I I pray that he would be a a great provider, a great worker. Not only that, I pray that he would love to talk about The Bachelor afterwards and really process each person in The Bachelor. I mean, they had this list of the kind kind of uh, godly man they wanted. And then a few years would go by. And then another few years would go by. And that same girl that had this list of, oh, what she wanted in a man, this is her prayer a few years later. God, I pray that you just give me a man. He don't even have to have a job. He don't even have to even want to have a job. I just want him to want me. Oh, you know what, Lord? Maybe he doesn't even have to be a Christian anymore. I mean, the bar just got lower and lower because here's the reality. All of us as believers are gonna face this thing called the time test, the time test. You'll, you'll see in Genesis 15, we're gonna talk about it in a little bit, but it says, some time later, it says in Genesis 15, Abraham's promise that was given to him in Genesis 12 has not come to fruition yet. So I was trying to find out what, what the uh, length of time was, and a lot of scholars uh, agree that it's at least 10 years, minimum of 10 years, from Genesis 12 to Genesis 15. So the time test of 10 years, God, you promised me a son. You promised me these things, and nothing happened. Can I just encourage you real quick, church? God does not work on your calendar. He does not work for your plans. Uh, you are not, God was not created to serve you. You were created to serve him. You are not in charge of the timing. But you are in charge of stewarding and being faithful to the promise. And I pray that we'd have confident Christians. I wanna to talk to some parents real quick. I pray we have some confident parents. I've seen parents pray for their kids in the very beginning. Oh, I pray that they're, they're the next Billy Graham. I pray that, be, that my daughter would be the next uh, world changer in politics or in business. And then I meet parents later on, and they're like, I just pray my kid don't go to jail. I just pray my kid is it, not just gonna get in trouble today. Oh, don't, Hebrews 11.1, 1, let me read it to you again. Hope. Here we go, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about we, what we do not see. Don't use your physical eyes to pray for your kids. Don't use your physical eyes to pray for your future spouse. Don't use your physical eyes to pray for your future whatever. Oh, pray, pray with the spirit and say, God, what do you have for me? Oh God, where would you send me? Am I not dreaming big enough? Am I not dreaming the way you called me to dream because when I get in your word, your word shows that you're a big God that you can do anything. Oh, let's have some confident Christians. Does that sound good? All right, so that's not even the message. That's just the chips and salsa before the meal. A few weeks ago, I talked about breadsticks before the meal, Olive Garden, shout out. Well, this is more like the chips and salsa before your favorite Mexican restaurant. My wife's favorite Mexican restaurant, you may have heard of it, is called Taco Bell. I call it Taco Hale. Yeah, I said that, it is like after you eat it, you're like, oh my gosh, am I gonna be okay? Uh, But if you're a lover of Taco Bell, I need to see real quick what we got at our church. If you love Taco Bell, give me a yes in the YouTube real quick. You love the Taco Bell, like my wife, you love it. If you don't like Taco Bell, put a thumbs down emoji in there. My people, my people, come on now, come on, come on. Um, uh, (laughs) So now we got the chips and sauce out of the way. You guys ready to get in the real part of the message? Here's what I wanna do. I'm gonna pray in just a second, but we're gonna talk about two things today, two things. We're gonna talk about failure and doubt. So it's about to get real serious go that way, because I believe that two of the greatest obstacles is that every Christian that's that has a dream or a plan for their life, and they're going to have to know how to navigate through failure, and they're going to know how to navigate through doubt. If you can't um, learn how to handle your failures or handle your doubt, you'll never get to where God's called you to be. I believe it's two of the greatest obstacles the enemy would love for you to be stuck in the same place. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. I thank you for what you're doing in the people's lives of Mission Church. And Lord, I do, I believe it. Uh, before we started um, uh, preaching this message, uh, the team and I, we, we were praying. God, I believe that we are on the, the cusp of, of revival. I believe that, that around the corner, Lord, that you are gonna awaken uh, many souls, that eyes will be opened, uh, ears will be opened, hearts will be awakened to the greatness of our God. Oh Lord, prepare us to be ready to disciple people. Prepare us to be ready to love people. Oh Lord, re- prepare us to be ready for uh, the mess of ministry. Lord, ministry is messy. And Lord, we are thankful that we get to be a part of that mess. Oh, we love you, we love you. Everybody said, amen, amen. All right, so uh, first, uh, first point, I got two points today, that's it. Uh, first point is this, confidence doesn't come from a lack of failures. A lot of people want to find the confidence in being perfect. If I just don't mess up, ooh, I'm really starting to get it as a believer. I, I don't do anything bad anymore. That's not where confidence comes from. So confidence doesn't come from a lack of failures. Confidence comes from when you know how to handle your failures. Do you know how to handle your failures? Well, I, I, I know a lot of people, they know how to justify their failures. They know how to compare their failures. Oof, well, my failure is bad, but not as bad as that person's. Another thing we know how to do is we know how to blame uh, others for our failures. Well, it's not my fault. If you would have known uh, my, my friend, or you'd have known my boss, you'd have known my parent, or my sister, or my brother, it's not my fault why I failed. Oh, it's uh, these people's fault, it's my spouse's fault. We know how to blame people for our failures. Uh, we, we look to a culture to celebrate our failures. Well, I feel like I've just failed, so maybe the culture tells me it's not that big a deal. Maybe I can actually have them celebrate my failures. <laughs> Some of you have a gift to enlarge your failures. You take your failures and all you do is think about them and you make them bigger than what they actually should be in your life. Some of you try to suppress your failures. All of these things are not actually how you overcome failures. Abraham shows us to be a confident Christian. You need to know how to handle your failures. I wanna look at one of the early failures of Abraham, one of the first failures he had and how he handled it. It's an amazing moment. So we see in Genesis 12, God gives him this promise. He says, "Uh, Abraham, Do you believe me? Then go. And Abraham believes, he just gets up and he goes. He doesn't know where he's going. This is a confidence. He has hope in what he has not seen. He believes in the promise. He goes out with Sarah. And then first test, famine hits the land. They don't have enough money. So what does Abraham do? Does he pray to God and say, God, I remember your promise. And I'm, hey, I'm I'm Father Abraham. I'm, I'm, I'm the one that people are gonna know about. Other religions will even know about me. So God, I'm just gonna pray real quick. God, we don't have enough food and money but I know you're my provider. Lord, will you provide for us? Is that what Abraham does? No, that's not what Abraham does. Abraham completely loses it with fear and takes his wife to Egypt. He takes it in his own hands and says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fix this in my own hands. And then when he gets to Egypt, isn't it interesting when you start making bad decisions, they just start to compound one after another. Then once he makes this decision, he says, you know what, Sarah, I, you're, my, you're my wife, but you it is too hot for to be my wife in Egypt. And if, if they want you, they'll kill me and I don't wanna to die today, so here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna tell him you're my sister. And so what happens is uh, Abraham never speaks up, literally gives his wife to Pharaoh for favor and to be able to live. Basically, if I'm being honest, he pimps out his wife to be able to gain other things. Oh, I don't know about you, but that's a failure of all failures. Then Pharaoh uh, finds out that it's, uh, Sarah's his wife, and he comes back and goes, what are you doing, Abraham? Have you ever had a non-Christian correct you? Have you ever had a non-Christian tell you Man, you're supposed to be a Christian and you're not even acting Christian. Well, Pharaoh is correcting Abraham, the first Christian, if you will, and saying, man, don't you believe your God? What are you? That's your wife. Like you realize you almost ruined it for all of us. Like I was going to get in trouble because of your mistakes Christian go act Christian, man. Cause when you don't act Christian, it hurts everybody. Can I just tell you real quick, people in your circle are depending on you to act like Christ. People in your circle are depending on you to actually be the one with character, mercy, grace, and forgiveness. Because when we decide to be the ones that stopped actually acting the way God calls us to act, it hurts a lot of people around us. And Pharaoh had to taste that for a second. And so Abraham and Sarah leave Egypt after this huge failure. What does Abraham do? Does he just suppress his failure and go, well, you know, everybody anybody would do it. Does he compare his failure? Well, at least I, I, left, my, I left my country at least. I mean, I'm pretty good. Is that what he does? No, no, Abraham goes back to the beginning, if you will. He goes back to the altar he built to God when God made him that promise. I wanna read it to you in Genesis 13. Here's how Abraham, He's still Abram at this moment, but here's how Abraham handles his failure. Oh, may we learn from this moment. Abraham knew something we probably didn't know. He knew how great God is. Have you ever hung out with somebody and you talked to them and you just noticed, man, that person's a gracious person. Man, that person, you can just tell they're a patient person. I had to believe that when Abraham had his encounter with God, that he knew something about God because why would he go back to God if he was afraid of an angry God? Why would he go back to God if God was like, all right, Abraham, you go out there and don't you mess up. No, no, he comes back to God. He left, but he came back to God. I just love that Abraham knew a character trait of God and you need to know the character trait of God. God is gracious, God is merciful. So Abraham had faith that God could redeem his failure. I wanna show it to you in Genesis 13. Here's how, he, here's how he, uh, he goes to God to redeem it. So Abraham left Egypt and traveled north into Negev along with his wife and Lot and all that they owned. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver and gold from the Gev, they continued traveling by stages towards Bethel, and they pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai where they had camped before, where they had camped before. They went back to where they camped before. This was the same place where Abram had built the altar, and there he worshiped the Lord again. He worshiped the Lord again. If you're at home, just say again. If, you, if you're in the YouTube, you need, <laughs> you need a reboot on some things, just say again. Oh, again, again. Here, here, here's what scholars say. This is Abraham repenting. This is Abraham going to God saying, can we reboot what I destroyed? Can we reset? I was wayward. I was off doing my own thing. I got fearful, and I was making terrible decisions. Is there any way, God, I'm going to worship you? I'm going to worship the one that can reset what I broke. I'm going to worship the one that can rebuild what I destroyed. God, can you do it? I'm going to worship you again. Can I just tell some of you right now, you you need to forgive again. You need to pray again. You need to believe again. You need to worship again. You need to love people again. You need to start plugging in the community again. You need to start serving the church again. You need to start getting generous again. Because the problem is, is you thought one try and it's over. We're a God of many tries. Oh, we worship a God who gives us many, 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 many tries. Rachel, I've been married eight years. Eight years. And she's Italian and I am stubborn. Okay, I I don't like losing fights. Uh, I feel like God gave me the gift of debating, so um, I like to debate. And so Rachel and I will get in fights. And sometimes I think I'm right. And to be honest, if she's not watching right now, I know I'm right, okay? Let's just say it, all right? So I think I'm right, I know I'm right. She did something that just upset me in our marriage. And we'll just fight. Or maybe I did something that upset her. And I just wanna be right. Oh, so we start going at it, going at it. And what will happen is, is we'll be circling. And finally we're fighting, and we don't even remember what we're fighting about. But I'm angry the verbiage that we use in our house when we're really angry is like my chest is tight right now. I'm just, I'm just mad. I, I just need, a, I just need some time real quick. And then we'll come together and we won't even remember what we fought about. And we say this to each other, you want to reboot? And I'm like, I want to reboot. And to be honest, there's a button on me where my wife rebuts me right here. She just goes reboot. It's kind of cheesy, but for some reason it works for us. And she's like, reboot boop," and I'm like reboot. Now you may say, well, that sounds super easy. No, here's what reboot means. I choose to forgive my wife. My wife chooses to forgive me. We say, I'm sorry when we reboot. I'm sorry. I'm sorry where I missed it. I'm sorry for responding this way. We say, I'm sorry. We, we get humble when we reboot. We get gracious when we reboot. We become merciful when we reboot. Oh, there's a cost to rebooting. But what happens is, is we reset our marriage. And we say, whatever that was, and we always say this after each fight, let's never fight again. I never want to, I hate fighting. And marriage like, I hate fighting. Let's never fight again. And then we have to reboot again next week. Marriage isn't about never fighting. Marriage isn't about never having a a, a disagreement. Marriage is about how do you reboot when you do disagree? How do you reboot when you do have a difference? How do you get resettled back in the climate of love where you say, oh, I love my spouse? Because it's not about the circumstance when, it's about the character win. And here's what Abraham knew. God, we need a reboot. I, I blew it, can you reboot it? And that's what repentance is. Repentance is rebooting the promises on your life. Repentance is rebooting your mind saying, I, I lost my way, I was fearful, I was manipulative. God, will you reboot and let me know that your mercies like your word says are new every morning. Oh, that when I wake up you say joy comes in the morning. Oh, reboot my mind to believe the promises again. Reboot my mind to believe that I can actually do what you called me to do and you can do through me what you can only do through me. Have you rebooted lately? Have you repented lately? Because if, if I could just be honest, I, I love this verse in, in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 55, it says this. It says, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Oof, have you ever been to a sporting event and you're taunting the other team? And like, they, you know, like uh, it's a guy who like airballs a, a free throw and you're like, ah. We used to uh, in, in basketball games, we would just yell, yell, yell to the guy, uh, the guy fouled out, we just like, ah, until he sat down just to taunt him that he was done. Well, this moment, really what's happening, it's, it's Paul, uh, as a follower of Christ, taunting death. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? He's declaring, the thing that used to destroy me, the thing that used to have the final say on me, the thing that I couldn't reboot against, this thing called death, it's gone. He goes on to say, for sin is the sting, is the sting that results in death, and the law that gives sin its power. But thank God. Woof, Let's thank God today. Thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Repentance is the hack of all hacks to live a successful Christian life. It's the hack of all hacks. It's like, for lack of a better term, I was trying to figure out the best illustration to really make it tangible for somebody who's an early Christian or has been a Christian a long time, you just don't understand repentance. I'm gonna use a video game illustration to really make it sure you understand what I'm trying to say. It's like having the cheat code in a video game. There are some video games that I never could win as a kid until I got the cheat code. I tried everything to win those games, I just couldn't. Mike Tyson punch out. Oh, I could never win Mike Tyson punch out. And then you find out from one of your friends, like, do you know right before the game starts, if you press up, up, down, down, left, left, right, start select, A, B, A, B, A, B, you get this new power and you can go through all the boxers and you can defeat the, uh, the big guy at the very end? And I'm like, no way. And so then you get into Mike Tyson Punch-Out and you got a different confidence about you. You just start punching each guy. Next one, next one, next one. I remember winning Mike Tyson Punch-Out with the cheat code. It felt great. It felt fantastic. I remember another game called Contra. Contra, this is gonna date me, was one of the best Nintendo games ever created. Oh, same thing. Before the game started, ABAB starts like, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, some crazy code. And then if you did that, every bullet that hit you, it wouldn't kill you anymore. It It would just fall off of you. And you, I, I won the game, it's phenomenal. There are some things in my life that there's, there's no way that I could conquer in my own strength. There are some things in my life that without this thing called repentance, without the opportunity to repent, without the blood of Jesus, I never would have conquered. And it's okay for me to say, man, Lord, I, it's not on my performance, it's not on my own power, it's by your blood, it's by the cross. And because of that, when I repent, Lord, I defeat what I couldn't defeat before. I could not get past this part of my life. Let me put it this way and and, and we'll move on. Uh, Have you ever met a, a Christian who's just stuck? Stuck in the same struggles year after year after year? They don't know how to get past it? Something that we don't give Abraham enough credit is that this could have stuck him in the same place of his life forever. But he knew repentance. He knew that God would forgive him. Some of you are stuck still on the same level of life, if I could put it that way. I'm gonna, use, I'm gonna use video game illustrations, forgive me if you didn't play them. Let's just say level one. You're still stuck on level one because you have no idea how to get past it and it's called forgiveness. You don't know how to receive forgiveness and you don't know how to give forgiveness. Abraham was a confident Christian because he knew how to handle his failures. It wasn't him destroying him, it was his king destroying him. We don't find confidence in being perfect, we find confidence in his forgiveness. And not only do we find confidence in forgiveness, oh, we start to give people, other people confidence because we forgive them. If you actually want to be a confident Christian and actually succeed in the things God God gives you, you gotta learn how to forgive. You gotta learn how to reboot. You gotta learn how to repent. Oh, that is something that Abraham found out early in his walk and that's why he went so far in his life. Man, stop wasting your time and start forgiving. I know you've heard it before, forgiving, but man, some of you, you just can't do it. Man, I pray that this season, for the first time, you actually start to understand forgiveness. You start to understand grace and you start forgiving people. Does that sound good? All right, I feel like I yelled at you, let's keep going. All right. my uh, second point, my last point, just two points today, you're welcome, is confidence doesn't come from the absence of doubt. Woo! Confidence comes from the moments with our God. Let me put it this way instead. Confidence doesn't come from the absence of doubt. Confidence comes from the assurances of his promise. They come from his assurance. How do you handle your doubt? I, I love that we get to see Abraham handle his doubt. One of the things that you, you read about Abraham is like, oh, he's, he's amazing. He's, he's, this, he's this amazing Christian that had faith and he was righteous because of it. Let's look at Genesis 15. Let's just look at it. It says this. Sometime later, (laughs) the Lord spoke to Abraham in a a vision and said to him, do not be afraid, Abraham, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. Kind of set this up. Abraham uh, rescued Lot, but now he's kind of afraid. Like, am I gonna be destroyed by other people? There's a promise on my life, so. But if I die, the promise is dead. Well, these people who uh, I defended my, uh, my nephew Lot from, are they gonna come back and kill me? So he's afraid. Doesn't sound like a super impressive Christian to me. Doesn't sound like a confident Christian to me. So Lord comes and says, don't be afraid. Let me say it again, I'll make sure I don't get past it. Confidence doesn't come from the absence of doubt, but the assurance of our God. He's, he's doubtful right now, he's afraid. And God just brings assurance, I got your back. I got you, Abraham. He goes on to say, but Abraham replied, oh sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I didn't even have a son? Since, you give, uh, since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Abraham is leaning in. Okay, you're giving me an assurance that I'm not going to die. I'm glad I got that one. So now I'm not worried about dying. But what about the promise of a son? I don't have it. You told me I would have a son, and I don't see the promise, God. Can I get an assurance for that too? Because the doubt I have, it's not going away. There's not an absence of doubt. I need some assurance. And here's what God does. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you'll have. I love what the Lord does here. He doesn't only give him assurance, he gives him a picture. The only times I've had these kind of moments with the Lord where I get a picture from the Lord of something great happening in my life or in this community, it's when I'm in the word of God. It's when I'm praying. And some of you are like, oh, I never had a moment like Abraham. Why don't I have a moment like that? I would ask you this, how many moments have you had praying with your Lord and reading your word? Because when you start to hear his word, you start to hear his promises for your life. You start to hear the assurances. I have doubt all the time, doubt about uh, how I'm I'm, I'm leading, doubt about what's gonna happen in this next season. And I I never have the absence of doubt in my life. I never have the absence of doubt. But then I get into his word and I just see the assurance of his promises. Oh, I love that God gives us an assurance. And here's what it says, and Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Right there, you know what Abraham shows us? That little faith, can lead to big faith. This is Abraham's little faith moment. It's not even his big faith moment, because here's what happens. Right after it says that he, uh, uh, he's righteous because of his faith, then the Lord told him, I the Lord who brought you out of, uh, your, uh, of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abraham replied, oh sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? Stop, do you see what's happening here in Genesis 15? Oh Lord, I'm gonna die. You're not gonna die. Thank you, Lord, but I don't have a son. What about my son? You're gonna have a son. I believe you, God, thank you, God. Well, God, what about this though? Because uh, you're in the Chaldeans, what about this? I mean, literally, it's like, I believe you, God, but I'm scared, I believe you, God, but I'm scared. This is Abraham going back and forth. We think of this, Abraham as this amazing faith-filled man. This conversation, you see him doubt three times in a conversation with God. Does God run from the conversation of doubt? That's what I love about God, is you gotta see how he handles our doubts. Does he shame Abraham's doubts? No, he brings assurance to his doubts. A lot of you think that God's gonna bring shame to your doubts. He brings assurance to your doubts. Even look in the New Testament when Jesus is, when Jesus has conquered the grave, what does Thomas do? I need to see the holes in his hand. I'm doubting until I see the holes in his hands. So there is doubt in Thomas. You You know what Jesus does? Get Thomas out of here, he's a doubter. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus says, here, put your hands in the holes. Here's assurance. And he, sh- he gives him the assurance. And then he goes on to say, oh, blessed are those who don't even have to touch though. Blessed are those who are just, trust my promises. Jesus is not mad at your, uh, your doubt. He'll give you assurance for your doubt. But there has to be a moment in your life where you say, God, I don't need to put the holes in the hands every day. I believe your promises because I know the cross. I know that the grave's empty. Let me keep going here. He goes on to say, then the Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abraham presented all the, uh, the, uh, these to him and killed them. Stop. If you don't know the context of culture in this, you read this, he's like, all right, I want you to go get me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He just tells Abraham to go do this. Abraham does not go, what do you want me to do with these? Abraham knows exactly what to do with these. All he, the instructions he gets from God is this, go get me these animals. Abraham, in his culture, knows what God is doing. This just got real, if I could put it that way. This is the moment of all moments. The cross and the grave, the empty tomb and the ascent, oof, all, all, all the New Testament stuff of Jesus, it's amazing. One of the most underrated moments in all of the Bible is Genesis 15 and the covenant. Let me, let me give you a, an illustration to make sure you understand what's happening. Our culture were a written culture. They were an oral culture and also you could say a symbolic culture. That They would use symbolic ceremonies to um, show the commitment they were gonna have. So in our culture, to give you an example of what's happening at this moment, would be two, I'll give you two examples. One is, uh, if I were, um, let's say I buy our, our house and I wanna put a, uh, a pool in the backyard. All right, so I, I agree upon a uh, price with this guy who's gonna put a pool in our backyard. And so I just want a little lap pool. And we agree for, let's say, a, a crazy number. Right I'm gonna say 10 grand. I don't know how much pool costs. Maybe more, maybe less. I have no idea. Um, 10 grand for the pool. Guy puts the pool in. And then I get a bill for $37,000. And the guy's like, I'm gonna take your court if you don't pay it. And I tell my friends, the guy told me $10,000. And now there's 37 grand. And they're like, well, did you write it down? Did you sign papers? Did you make a contract up? No, but he just, he said it. And people are like, how foolish are you? This is, we're in a contract culture. You gotta make a contract when you're making those kind of commitments. Abraham had doubt until this moment. You'll see throughout the rest of his life that, What happened here is it's not a contract culture. It's a covenant culture and a covenant culture is way, way bigger than a contract. A covenant culture in, in, in Abraham's time was a life and death commitment. When somebody builds your pool and goes over price, it's not life or death. Well, if I charge you too much, you can kill me. That would be weird. We're in a contract culture. What a covenant culture was, was a king to different servants, especially in this culture, a servant would have to cut up a heifer, a ram, a turtle dove, all these different things, cut them up them on each side, half, half of the ram's on this side, the other half's on this side, half of the cow's on this side, the other half of the cow's on this side. Picture just literally slaughtered animals on each side. And the servant, very rarely would the king walk through also, the servant would walk through and say, I'm gonna be your servant. And if I fail as a servant to you, you may do the same thing to me as I did to this cow, the same thing I did to this ram. That's what the covenant, it was a symbolic gesture. If I fail in my end of the bargain, you can kill me. Woo! I'm glad I don't really got to do that to get a pool. I'm glad I, I don't have to do that to keep my car. I just sign a paper and I'm on my way. But during this time, Abraham knew. God said, okay, you still, have, you still have doubts. I'm gonna give you the assurances of all assurances, Abraham. I'm gonna give you a covenant. Now, a kind king would walk through it also and say, if I am not a great king to you, then I'll also pay the price of death. So what happens in this uh, verse, I want you to catch it. It's, it's, It's fascinating. It says, as the sun went down, Abraham fell into a deep sleep and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Then the Lord said, to Abraham, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 40 years, but I'll punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abraham saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses Stop. I'm so thankful for my Logos, Logos uh, Bible study software program because you start reading this stuff and you see this, you're like, what are you trying to say, Lord? And, and you find out that scholars connect this right here, the fire pot, the smoking fire pot, it's the same exact uh, Hebrew words that describe God on Mount Sinai. This is God in, in fire form, a billow of smoke, if you will. Abraham sees him and God goes through the aisle of the dead animals. And Abraham never goes through. It goes on to say right here, it says, so the Lord made a covenant with Abraham that day and said, I've given you uh, this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt. Stop. This is the gospel message before Jesus was on the cross. What I love about the Bible is I don't have to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to see the gospel. I can read Genesis 15 and see the gospel just as loud, maybe even louder sometimes. This is what God is signifying to Abraham. All right, Abraham, you have doubt that my promises aren't true. You have doubt that my promises are not gonna come to fruition in your life. Here's what's gonna happen. We're gonna have a wedding ceremony tonight. We're gonna make a covenant and I'm gonna walk down the aisle and I'm gonna promise that if I don't hold up my end of my bargain as your God and your promises, I will be as an infinite God, I will come die a finite death. As a powerful God, I will die. Oh, I'll be torn apart for breaking the covenant. What a promise from our God. How great is our God to make this kind of promise to give Abraham this kind of assurance so Abraham can be a confident Christian and have faith. But then here's what else he does. He never has Abraham walk through. What he's saying to Abraham is, guess what, Abraham? Even if you fail, even if your descendants fail, even if your sons and daughters fail and leave me, They will not pay the price. I'll still pay the price of the covenant. I'm committed that no matter what happens, this will come to fruition, Abraham. I will pay the ultimate price. You will not pay the ultimate price. I will pay your price. I will pay my price. This is the cross. This is what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus was torn apart like the ram, like the cow, like the turtle dove. He was torn apart on the cross because you and I did not carry the end of the bargain that we promised. We broke the covenant. We broke the promise and God redeemed it. Let me read you a, a thought I had. I believe that confident Christians have a different swagger about their life because they have moments with the Lord. Not just any kind of moment. Abraham walked out of that moment with a different swagger. Of course, he still had failures, but he just kept going. And you see at Genesis 22, the swagger he had, goes, hey, I'm gonna go up and uh, sacrifice Isaac. And Isaac's like, hey, dad, I don't see, uh, I don't see a ram or goat. And he's like, oh, God will provide one. Woo! Abraham, who was worried when he was rich that God wouldn't provide during famine went to Egypt and he pinned out his wife. Now he's telling his son, son, do you know our God provides? Well, Genesis 12 and 13, Abraham didn't say that. Genesis 22, Abraham says that because he became a confident Christian. He doesn't no longer, his fear and trembling and run. He goes, son, God's gonna provide a ram. Son, don't worry, we got this. I know my God. I have confidence in my God. I got swagger in my God. What kind, of, what kind of man when he said to go sacrifice son says, we'll be right back. <laughs> I've got confidence in my God. You weren't there, but I was there. I had a moment with my God where he showed me, he walked through the, the dead heifers and said, I am so committed that I will die a death if I don't fulfill my promise to you about Isaac and the generations coming through him. You wanna know why church is so important on Sunday? Here was Abraham's one responsibility with the Lord. Prepare the moment. Prepare the moment, Abraham. Once you prepare it, I'll take it from there. On Sundays, we prepare the moment for us to come before God and say, God, I want to encounter you. Isn't it amazing when you go to church on, on a Sunday, you come in, you worship, you hear a message, and you walk out? What happens a lot of time on Sunday when you walk out from one of those services where you worshipped, you heard a message? Oh, you walk out confident. Oh, God, the promises are yes and amen. I believe you, God. Oh, you, you, you said it, it will happen. You feel that way on Sunday. You are confident on Sunday. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday happen. It doesn't have to be 10 years from Genesis 12, just sometime later, just like in Genesis 15, sometime later happens. And by Wednesday, you're like, all right, I'll just, I'll just date anybody, I'll just do whatever I got. I, I had my moment on Sunday, but, but the last three days, I, just, I have no confidence. Until you understand the importance of moments with your God, you'll never have confidence in your God. Until you understand to have daily moments with your God, you'll never have daily confidence with your God. The Sunday moment that is so powerful at church cannot sustain you for the rest of your life. What Abraham understood, and what you need to understand today, is it will never be the absence of doubt while you're confident. It will all be the assurance of the promises of your God. I'm reading my word right now. I'm in Jeremiah, I'm in Malachi, I'm in uh, the Gospel of John right now, and I've just been having the hardest time, Lord. We, just, just to tell you, church real quick, we have no home right now. I have no idea where we're gonna meet. I have no idea. I have no idea where we're gonna uh, be able to have church. And so I'll, I'll have these moments where I'm like, God, we got 800 people on a Sunday. We're coming. Where are we going to put them? what are we gonna do? Lord, and I get get anxious. And then I get to my word, and I open it up, and I see his promises. And I see how he says to to Jeremiah, he says, oh, I'm going to put my people where I wanna put my people. I am the one who takes care of these things. I see his sovereignty. I see his love and his commitment for his people. And I get done reading my Bible, and I get done worshiping, and I go, ooh, we about to have a building. Oh, we about to have a place, Lord. You're gonna put your people where you wanna put your people. And I have a confidence again. Where did that confidence come from? it came from moments with my God. Guess what happens The next morning? I wake up. I'm not as stressed out about it, but then I start processing again and I go have a moment with the Lord. My confidence is always connected to my moments. If you cannot prioritize your moments with your God, you'll never have confidence in your God. I meet so many Christians that don't have confidence in God because they don't, they depend on me creating moments for them on Sunday. Sunday should be a catalytic moment for you to go and say, God, just like how Abraham prepared the moment with the calves, I'm gonna prepare my morning for you. I'm gonna put on some worship music. I'm gonna get on, on, on my face, and I'm gonna start praying. I'm gonna open up my Bible, Lord, and I'm gonna start reading your word. And when I read something that just pierces my heart, Lord, I'm gonna stop, because I believe when you say that you're trying to have a moment with me, and I don't wanna blaze past this moment, this could be a moment that could change my life forever. Not all moments are created equal. Oh, I pray that you would have moments this week with your God. I pray that you would be like Abraham. You would know that you are called to prepare the moments and then let God take the rest. Oh, church, I love you. As we navigate this next week, I'm believing this, that we're gonna have a church that just has a different faith about us. I've I've been writing down things that I just look at what God applauds and what he really like, it makes him smile, what pleases him. Being in the culture right now that we are, there's a lot of things that are, putting pressure on pastors to please people, to please preferences, to please this side or that side, to please this party or that political party. And so all I've been doing lately when I read my word and pray is, God, what pleases you? I just wanna please God. And if if that upsets somebody at our church, I, I, I can live with that. And so I've been just going through what pleases you, God, and I just keep seeing faith pleases our God. It is impossible to please God without faith. Let's be a faith church. Let's believe that this next season, God has something for us. Can I pray for you, church, to bow your heads? Lord, I thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. Lord, I thank you for the people that tuned in today and they wanna hear, uh, uh, they gotta hear that there's a God that can take care of their failures, that can bring assurances to their doubts. Oh, Lord, I pray right now for the one that is, is processing, changing their life forever for you, and they don't know how to do it. The Bible shows us how we do it. We respond to what he's doing in our heart and the response is this, we confess with our mouth, we believe in our heart, and we will be saved. If you wanna say yes to Jesus, oh, confess it with your mouth. In yeah, YouTube, say, I'm saying yes to Jesus. If, you, if that's uh, too, uh, too hard for you, tell a friend, uh, call somebody who you're with me right now. Um, on our website, you can say, I said yes, we'll have a pastor follow up with you. Every week we're seeing people get saved. God is using this season for people to get saved. Second thing is this, man, you wanna be an Abraham. You wanna be a confident Christian. You wanna be somebody who says, I'm committing for my faith to get bigger. I'm committed to creating more moments. Church, a strong church has a lot of moments with God. If you wanna commit to being one of those Christians saying, I'm in, I wanna be a faith church, I wanna be a faith person, I wanna be confident in my God, if that's you just right, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. I want a church that says, man, I'm going all in on the promises of God. I'm gonna have some doubt, I'm gonna have some failures. It doesn't matter because my God takes care of my failures and he brings assurances to my doubts. Mission Church, I love you. I'll see you next week. Take care.